Good morning. Well, uh, we're going to be back in John 6 uh, this morning, and uh, you know, I think we'll be in John 6 for a little while. It, there's just, it's so full, it's so rich. Uh, there's a lot that happens in this chapter. And you know, last week, James led us through uh, Jesus feeding 5,000, that miracle, that, all that happened with that. And then the rest of the chapter is sort of this uh, playing out of, and him, John, explaining what all that meant. Uh, what the bread actually represents. But in in between all of that is this little short passage that uh, John shows us that only the disciples experience uh, that really gets very little explanation. It just happens. Uh, And it's for us to see now. It's Jesus walking on the water uh, in the stormy sea. And really it's meant to, to grab us at our core. To make us feel the power of the moment. To press us to decide what we will do with the real Jesus. (laughs) So let's go to this passage now together. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. John 6, verses 15 to 21. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind. Uh, A strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to guide us through this passage. Father, we do um, bow before you. We thank you for your word. Pray that you would speak by your spirit through uh, a broken, fallible messenger to bring and speak power into our lives, that we would see Jesus more clearly this morning. Pray these things for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, You know, there are some sobering life moments that come along from time to time. Uh, Things that are sobering, things that are powerful, things that are frightening even, things that sort of uh, command all every ounce of focus that we have. It just sort of shows up and almost gives us like tunnel vision, like everything else is stripped away and we just sort of see what's happening right in front of us. Uh, it's, it's those experiences that bring up uh, our fears, um, what we value most, all those things come up. Well, uh, I, I watched a documentary just a few weeks ago uh, about a, a Nepalese climber uh, named Nims. And he was special forces, like, just trained, athletic guy, like, almost superhuman, okay? And he, he decided he was going to accomplish what had not ever been accomplished before and was thought to be impossible. He's going to climb all 14 of the highest peaks in the world. They're all over 8,000 meters, like, that's like 26,000 feet, higher than anything we've got in America. And he was going to do it within a year. And sort of to give you a comparison, most folks train for years just to do one of these mountains. And he's going to do it in a year, all, all 14. 
And so he set out on this adventure, and he had a team, and he had gear, and he had all the things that he needed. And, and he does actually complete this, by the way. Uh, I'll go ahead and give you that spoiler. But it's not so much that he did it, it's what happened along the way. He climbs the first two mountains and seems to do them with ease. You know, the first one, like the rest of the folks at base camp are like, this one's crazy. Like, how, how are you going to do this? And, you know, he knocks it out. And then he goes to the next one, and he takes care of that one. And he gets to the third one, and he gets to the peak of the third one. And then he's coming back down, and about 100 meters uh, below the summit, he runs across uh, a stranded climber. He's run out of oxygen and struggling with uh, a condition they call haste. Uh, high altitude cerebral edema. I might not have said that all right, but here's the point. <laughs> that it's a condition where the fluid in the brain swells because of the high altitude. And uh, one of the symptoms they describe as uh, an altered mental state. Uh, but even more dire than that is if it's not treated within about 24 hours, you're, you're gone. You're done. And so he uh, helps this climber. And what, what you need in that moment is oxygen. And so Nims climbs with oxygen, and so he takes his off, and he gives it to the stranded climber, and uh, Nims sends his partner on down to base camp because he's dealing with frostbite at this point. And so Nims stays with this guy, and he's radioing down to camp. He's saying, hey, we need a rescue. Somebody come up here. Let's get this guy. He needs to be brought down now. And he waits for 12 hours, calling down. Somebody, is anybody coming? Is anybody coming? And finally, the oxygen that he has runs out. And sadly, this stranded climber dies in his arms. But now Nims is on his own, and it's night, and he's got to make his way down the mountain without oxygen. So things seem dire. He does make it down, and he does complete the rest of the journey. But for the first time, this uh, seemingly superhuman climber was questioning this whole endeavor. Uh, everything became <laughs> uh, focused, <laughs> and what, fear, what fears popped up in that was the fact that He's not superhuman. He's frail. And just like that, the wheels can fall off in life. You guys know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about in a moment. And you see, we're controlled by those fears that come up in those moments. But we might not know what we fear most. We might think that we fear running out of money or resources. But what's the fear under that? We might think we fear change. But what's under that? We might think we fear illness or even death. But what's the fear under that? Okay, that's sort of the outer world, the physical things that are going on. And then there's the inner world where, where it's just us. No one else can go. And we've got all these questions floating around in our minds like, who am I? You know, if people really knew who I was, what was really inside of there, would I, would I be rejected? Would I be left alone? You see, I think the fear underneath all of those things is the fear <clears throat> of being alone. Fear of being abandoned. Fear of being isolated and separated forever. That's actually how Jesus describes hell oftentimes. He says it's an outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, isolation forever. It sounds awful, doesn't it? To spend too much time thinking about that, you sort of have to change your mind and, and think about something else. But... That's how Jesus describes it. The fear under all those fears, I think, is there because our, our existence, we were made for God. We were made to be in his presence. Our, our existence doesn't actually make sense apart from him. 
because it's how we were made. And yet, <clears throat> in the fall, we decided that we thought we could run our own lives better than God could. And so we rejected God, and we sought to run our own lives, and we sought this existence apart from God. And so, therefore, fears take control because everything that threatens that existence, it's down to us to figure it out, to fix it, to deal with it. And we're apart from God and all those things. And our fears control us. And unless we encounter the one who is actually to be feared most, whose very presence casts out all our fears, unless we encounter him, the lesser fears will take control. But you see, this passage really speaks to this reality. It speaks to the, to the, to the anecdote, to the problem, because only when we see Jesus show up in our lives and all his awesome power to give us his presence, only then will we begin to receive him as Lord of our lives, of our entire lives, of everything. He doesn't show up so that he can help us run our own lives the way we think it ought to go, or uh, he doesn't show up to give us stuff, though he does provide. He provided bread just in the, the, the uh, last, set, last passage that we were in last week. But he shows up to be Lord. Any, in any other case, we will relegate him to a good guy, a good teacher, a divine butler who can give us bread or whatever we, we want or need. But he's not going to be Lord if he's anything less. We, we heard back <clears throat> earlier in John, in chapter 2, Jesus said he knew what was in the heart of man. And so therefore he didn't automatically entrust himself to man, to, to humans, to, all, to people, because he knew what was in them. He still has compassion, and he still cares for them. He still provided for them in that last, in, in the feeding of the 5,000, even though he knew that they were going to try to take him by force and make him king because they wanted more. <laughs> even though he knew that, he still provided for them. But I want to take us back to verse 15. James spoke of that last week, so we'll, we'll go there briefly, but it really gets to the point of why Jesus came and who he truly is. He's not here merely to give us stuff. But we see that the crowd uh, wants to take him by force and make him their king, right? Verse 15, perceiving that, Jesus perceived that. They were wanting to take him by force and make him king. Jesus withdrew. So as we go through this passage, we're going to pay attention to uh, which direction Jesus is heading, where he's at in proximity to the others. And here he withdraws. Um, now, it could be easy to knock the crowd and say, oh, yeah, look, the crowd didn't get it. They didn't get who Jesus was. They just wanted more stuff. But we're the same way, aren't we? Think about being there in that moment. So, you know, you're one of the crowd, and you, you hear about this guy. You say, oh, so this guy that's in town, he, he can heal our diseases? Really? Oh, oh and he can, he can feed all of us just like that? Wow, what else can he do? Well, maybe we could get him on our side. Maybe we can make him our king, and maybe we could go and take down Rome. Maybe he can help us with all of our other problems. We get that, don't we? We, we think about the same types of things. But here's the thing with the crowd, and here's the thing as I look at my heart and our hearts as we think about that is oftentimes the fear of our circumstances takes over. See, the crowd feared their circumstances more than the power of Jesus himself. And so when that happens, when the fear of our circumstances take over, 
we seek to try to take over anything else in our, near us that can help us deal with our circumstances. In this case, the crowd said, well, we're going to, let's take over this guy who, uh, who just fed us. Let's overpower him, basically. That's what the, when it says to take him by force, that verb could also be translated as to seize, to steal. Uh, it's used in other places to talk about seizing a wild animal. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not how I work. <laughs> and so he withdraws. They were going to try to overpower the guy that had just overpowered physics. He turned a little loaf, some loaves of bread into enough for 5,000 people. And yet their fear took over, and they forgot those things. He said he's not that kind of king. Uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is spoken of as not being a tame lion. Uh, Jesus is not a tame savior. We can't control him. And, and, I, and I find myself trying to do that, though. Maybe you're like me. We want him to work on our timetable. We want him to further our plans. We want him to deal with our issues, our circumstances, to fix our problems. We find ourselves doing that every day. And Jesus said, I'm not a tame savior. That's not how it works. Have you ever found yourself anxiously trying to tell God what he needs, what you need him to do? He wants to hear from us, by the way. That's not bad. It's not wrong. Have you ever found yourself trying to, to, to be good enough to be accepted by God? Have you, ever tried to, have you ever found yourself trying to obey so that God will reward you? God's not transactional. He's relational. He wants relationship with us. He wants to give us himself, not merely just provide for us. Certainly he will provide. But he wants more. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us. And Jesus withdraws in this situation, though, because that's not the way of his kingdom. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't stay withdrawn in this moment, in this passage. He comes. He enters in. He shows up. He will not be controlled, but he will come to us. And he comes to his disciples. So after Jesus has withdrawn, the disciples go down to the boats, right? They get in the boats. They realize we got to go back home. we got to get back across the sea to Capernaum. It's getting dark. It's getting late. And you never know when the storms pop up. Well, one popped up here. And, and the sea, this area, the geography, um, it sort of lended itself to sort of, like a, sort of like a wind tunnel. The wind could whip up and pop up and uh, and a storm could pop up in no time, and the waters would get choppy, and that's what happened with them. And so they're, they're slogging through uh, this storm. They're, they're making their way, but it's, it's painful. It's hard. And uh, these guys are experienced fishermen on the sea. At least some of them were. They were fishermen. They knew the sea. That's probably not the first time they'd been in a storm on the, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, but notice that John doesn't mention that they were afraid yet. There may have been some anxiety, some worry, some fear. But it doesn't say that they were frightened yet. Um, and so they're slogging along. Now the sea in that time, in, in ancient cultures, and, and really it still represents this to us today, the sea then represented dark things, threatening things, scary things. It's deep. It's dark. <laughs> you don't know what's down in there. And in any given moment, it, well, it's powerful. At any given moment, it can overpower you. Uh, I haven't spent much time at sea myself, but any of, if any of you have, 
you, you know this. <laughs> you know how powerful it is. I remember uh, knowing that it could kill you for the first time. You know, always, you're always told that. The ocean's powerful. It could kill you. The rip current, it can kill you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. And I remember being in high school, and someone I went to high school with actually drowned in the ocean. Down the Gulf Shores where we'd go. And I remember hearing about that and going, whoa, uh, it, it really can. And, you know, again, this is sobering moments. You're like, you, you feel the power of something like the sea, something like the ocean. Uh, you know, our hearts are also like deep, choppy, sometimes dark waters. You know, Proverbs speaks of that. The purpose in a man's heart is deep waters. Uh, it can be uh, dark and scary and ominous down in there, right? We know that. Uh, and it, can, it can be a place where you can drown in it if you're not careful. But kind of like the disciples, you know, you're familiar with it. It's, it's something that it's scary, but it's known. And so we learn how to slog through all that stuff. You just sort of deal with it or, or sort of push it down and try to ignore that it's there. But it's, but it's there. Well, we learn to slog through that. But Jesus won't let us stay there just slogging through it, through the storm, whether the external actual storm or the internal storm. He won't let us stay there. You see, he shows up. <laughs> he shows up in the storm with the disciples. Uh, and at first, the disciples kn- didn't know it was him. So picture this. You're, you're rowing through a storm. You've been at it all night. Uh, it's somewhere around 3, 4 in the morning. You know, you're worn out. You're tired. Um, and you see something, a figure, something that looks like a person. And it seems like they're walking on the water, but you're probably thinking, no, it's like, that can't be. No, I'm just some, my, I'm seeing stuff. I'm tired now. But no, he keeps coming. He keeps getting closer and closer. And he's actually moving faster than you're able to even row. And you're like, what is this? It's coming at us. It says that he came near the boat. And that is when John says they were frightened. Not in the storm, though probably there was some fear, but they were truly frightened when they saw Jesus. They didn't know who he was at first. They were just scared. When something big shows up in our lives, something sobering, something with supernatural, powerful force, it causes us to sit up. It focuses our minds. They they knew the, the storm. It was natural. It was normal. They'd done that before, probably. But this was not normal. <laughs> For someone to show up, on the water, walking on it in a storm at night. That was not normal. Now, we're not often rowing through actual stormy seas here, at least not on a regular basis. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you've been there before, but we don't normally do that every day, but we do row and slog through our inner world, the inner world of our hearts, all the scary things on the inside, all of our fears, those questions we spoke of earlier, who am I? Uh, you know, what if I get sick? What if I'm left alone? What if, fill in the blank for your fear of choice, your, the one that, that rises to the surface for you most often. We are slogging through that. And when something powerful shows up, it brings all that up. You know those shows or movies or those scenes that you see sometimes in, in Hollywood where it's depicted where there's folks on like, like an airplane and, and they realize it's going down, right? The captain says, hey, we're, go, you know, we're going down and, and you, they're, they're frightened. 
in the moment. They're frightened by the moment, by the circumstances. And you have a couple of friends sitting together or family members. And in that moment, someone turns and offers some deep, dark, dark secret confession. They're like, I got to get this out now. It's sort of like those frightening moments bring all the stuff back up, don't they? And that's what happens here with the disciples, I think. That's what happens with us when Jesus shows up in power. Um, when that unknown power shows up, it stirs everything. Now, the disciples were frightened. But I don't know if they were frightened enough. Because they just thought it was a ghost. <laughs> they didn't know who it was yet. But, but Jesus graciously makes himself known. Right? So, so to begin with, he withdraws. Then he comes near. Then he makes himself known who he is. Now, in the English here, it's, it, these are the only words of Jesus in this little passage. It says, it is I, do not be afraid. If you drill down to the original language in the Greek, that it is I could quite literally be translated, I am. Now, John uses that statement, or G Jesus uses that statement, and John highlights it for us throughout his gospel. Uh, it's basically Jesus' way of saying, I am God. Not just I am God, but I am the personal, knowing, intimate, relational God. I am. Because it, it points back to the Old Testament where God made himself known. When Moses met God in the burning bush, God said, I am. Quite literally, he used the Hebrew word, I am. It's where we get Yahweh, God's personal, relational name. And that's what Jesus says here. He says, I am. I am God. Now, I don't know if that fully landed on the disciples in that moment, that they thought through all the Old Testament, oh, that's when he's referring to Old Testament scripture here, there. No, they're in the storm. But they see and recognize Jesus, and they see him in power. And Jesus says, I am. In the Old Testament, when God made himself known with his personal name, it was intimate, it was personal, but it was also terrifying to meet the holy God. It's terrifying. Again, that goes back to the point we made earlier because our, our very existence does not make sense apart from him, apart from a holy God. He is God. We are not. He's creator. We are creature. We are, it makes sense only in relationship to him. And yet, we broke that and we tried to have our existence apart from him. And so there is this clash. And so when a holy God shows up, it's scary because it know, you know that, hey, this is going to change me. <laughs> It means that I've got to give up my way and surrender to his. Then Jesus says something else. <laughs> he doesn't just say, I am. He says, I am, do not be afraid. I am, no fear. That surrender doesn't involve fear. It actually brings peace. And it does to the disciples, and it does to those who see Jesus for who he is. Uh, God forbid you ever found yourself in a traumatic situation, and maybe I was there, and I showed up, and I said, hey, hey, don't be afraid. That doesn't carry a lot of power in the moment, does it? Because I don't carry a lot of power to cast out your fears in a traumatic situation. Uh, remember, I was, uh, a couple years ago, I was running, uh, actually, with Nate and Matthew, and we were out one morning before the sun was up. It was dark, and we were headed down a new road that we hadn't been on. It was actually the road that goes down past the Y. And we're trucking along down there. And uh, we all sort of hear 
uh, all of a sudden rustling of leaves. And then we hear a dog barking. And then we hear it getting closer and closer and closer. And I cannot see this dog. It sounds big. <laughs> um, but I didn't even have to think. I just turned around and started running the other way. <laughs> now, in that moment, if I had sort of yelled back, like, hey, guys, don't be afraid, <laughs> it's not going to help. <laughs> um, yeah, and I did look back, and they were behind me. Uh, and I realized I just had to be faster than them. <laughs> now, uh, my, my, I have no power to cast out your fears. I have no power to cast out your fears. But Jesus, wh- when the I am shows up and he says no fear, we listen. Because he does have the power to cast out fears. Because he's walking on the storm He's not running from the dog. He's not drowning in the sea. He's walking on it. When It's not a nice sentiment. When I say it, it might be a nice sentiment. When you say it to someone else, it's a nice sentiment. When Jesus says it, says it it's a promise. Uh, back to Narnia for a moment. You know, when the, the, the four uh, brothers and sisters, when they go into Narnia and they meet uh, the beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, uh, they say, hey, we've got to go see Aslan. We've got to go to see him. We've got to meet him. Uh, it picks up like this. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Uh, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus is not a tame savior, um, and he's not safe in the sense of he will change us, but he's good. He's powerful, and he's good. The I am, the God of all, can say I am no fear, and both of those things meet, come together in the person of Jesus, because he is God And he's able to cast out that fear that's under all other fears. Remember we talked about that earlier. Our ultimate fear, the fear that drives all the other manifestations of fear, I believe, is our separation. Total isolation forever from God. Jesus can deal with that one. Because he, he says, I came to deal with that. I came to take the hit. I came to be the one separated so that you don't have to be. So that you can be reconciled to God. I will be cast out. You will be brought in. Because I am God. And then you can get through all other fears. Knowing that that ultimate fear has been dealt with. In Christ. You see then the disciples take him into the boat. (laughs) They were frightened when they saw him. Then he says who he is. He makes himself known and they take him in. It says they gladly... Uh, they were glad to take him into the boat. Uh, earlier, I mentioned the crowd uh, had the, they, they wanted to take Jesus, right? They said that to take him by force. Here, the disciples, it says the disciples were glad to take him into the boat. There's two different verbs in there in the Greek. Again, the first one I mentioned earlier was a seizing, trying to steal him, like trying to uh, seize a wild animal. Here, the verb means to receive. The disciples were willing to receive him as he revealed himself, as he truly is. As Lord, as the I am, they received him. The question really boils down to this, for me and for you. 
Do we really believe that he is who he claims to be? Do we really believe that he is the I am? Do we really believe that he is Lord, creator of all, uh, the one who created the waves and so therefore can walk on them? The one who can show up in our lives and say, I am no fear. Don't be afraid. Do we really believe that? If so, why is he not at the center of my life in all things? Why do I let lesser fears take the place of lordship in my life over him at times? I don't know what stirs in you in that, but I invite you to consider this reality that he is Lord, that he is I am, and he comes to have place of lordship of all, of our entire lives. But sometimes we relegate Jesus to a good teacher or a good example. Uh, A good example in this is no help because I can't walk on water. I can't follow that example. He has to show up in my life and make himself known for who he really is. Either he is Lord, or this is the most elaborate hoax ever devised. There is no middle ground with Jesus. He's either Lord, or he's not at all. And in the beginning, I talked about that climber, Nims, the seemingly superhuman climber who found himself alone on a mountain. Well, there was another mountain climbed, and another man on that mountain who ended up alone. But rather than surviving that climb, this man went to his death. But not because he was out of control, because he was in control. That man was Jesus, and he was on the Mount of Olives. He went to pray, and he was alone. And then a weaponized mob shows up with Judas. And Jesus says, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And there it is again. What he's saying in the Greek in that moment is, I am. And it landed. Because if you remember in that passage, a weaponized mob of soldiers collapsed to the ground when he said, I am. It landed. He said, I'm God. (laughs) He was in control. He even had to help them out. He said, hey, no, who are you seeking? (laughs) He had to ask him again, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, I am, I am he. He never lost control. He was not willing to be seized to be made an earthly king, but he was willing to be seized to go to his death. Uh, The I am, the God of all, offers himself to death, to his own death. It's the upside-down power of his true kingdom. Anyone can say to you, you're forgiven. But it's sort of like me saying, hey, no fear. There's no power in it unless it is the I am, the creator of all things, who says you are forgiven. He can deliver on that promise. He is powerful, and therefore he had to go to his own death for us. This power has come to you. Will you receive him as he is offered? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, brief uh, um, event that's uh, in John 6 that's recorded for us to see Jesus revealed in power, but revealed as one who comes to us, who is for us, who loves us and wants to be Lord of all. 
Lord, help us to surrender to that reality. Help us to surrender to him as our loving Lord and Savior. Lord, do this for your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.